y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, NPR Senior Weekend Edition Editor, Barry Hardiman, and NPR Political Editor, Arnie Seiple. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Barry, Arnie, happy Earth, Wind, and Fire week, month, year. This is amazing. This is Isn't this, this amazing? Is what I, this is like, I am ready. Let's just let it play for a oh, second. Oh, please yes. let. Do you remember? I do remember. So we're playing this song, September, uh, because it turns 40 this year. And that date mentioned in the song, September 21st, that happened this week. I'm also, I'm older than this song. <laughs> it's okay. No one was going to know unless you said it, baby. Oh, my God. Edit it. Cut it. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. Yeah. It's always a good week to play this song, but this week is an extra good week to play this song. Before I talk more about it, I want to thank my guests for being here from D.C. today. Barry Hardiman, as said, senior editor at NPR's Weekend Edition, and Arnie Seipel, uh, editor at NPR Politics, who used to edit me back in the day. Mm-hmm. So this song turns 40 this year, so we need to celebrate it. And I want to talk a little bit about the backstory of this song, which is literally one of the greatest songs of all time. I say it and I mean it. Mm-hmm. But um, it Dan Charnas wrote a short oral history of September for NPR a few years ago. And he asked an expert about why it feels like everyone can't get enough of this song and you want to hear it on repeat over and over again. He talked to Jeffrey Peretz, who's a professor at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. And the professor said the chord structure of the song makes it seem like it could go on forever. He says, quote, there's four chords in the chorus that just keep moving forward and never seem to land anywhere. It's right. The chords just keep going and you just yep. want to keep dancing. Right. Another fun sort of fact. Sort like how you don't want the summer to end. Exactly. That same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact about this song, the most iconic lyric of the whole thing is Badia, right? Oh, Badia. Not even real words. Um, there's a backstory to this. One of the songwriters of this song, Allie Willis, she told NPR uh, when the band leader Maurice White put that body in the song, she was like, you're going to change that to real words, right? Uh, and he kept saying no. And so in the final vocal session, Allie Willis told Maurice White, she said, what the F does body mean? And he said, who the F cares? Then he goes on to say, and I... Just iconic. He says, quote, never let the lyric get in the way of the groove. Yes. Because yes. the lyric is the groove on this. Yes. It is the yes. groove. The same thing. Yes. Well, that broke my brain. <laughs> so happy Earth, Wind, and Fire week, month, life. Back at you. Yes. Also, listeners, talking about fun stuff and fun songs and things, uh, we're going to have a very fun live show uh, in the L.A. area, October 2nd. I'll be talking with the comedian Guy Branham. It's going to be fun. There'll be laughs and drinks. Get your tickets at kpcc.org slash in person. All right. As always, I'm going to start by having my panelists describe their week of news in only three words. Arnie, you're up first. Hey, Sam. My three words are... Not so fast. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, mm. aren't we all? Yes. Well, yeah. Before we get into it, I want you to just catch us up to what we know as we tape. Uh, this is a story that seems to turn left and then right every five minutes. Yes. So what we know is that there is this allegation from this woman, Professor Christine Blasey Ford. She was 
you know, when she was 15 years old, she says she and Brett Kavanaugh, the nominee for the Supreme Court, were at a party and that he sexually assaulted her. Mm. Brett Kavanaugh has not budged in categorically denying this, saying I wasn't even at the party. Um, you know, And so, that was like on Sunday, right? That was on Sunday. Oh, my God. That was on Sunday. Not so fast. You're right. Not yeah. so fast. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I say not so fast is because until then, it seemed like Brett Kavanaugh was cruising towards confirmation. Mm-hmm. Like uh-huh. it was just going ahead. Um, and Republicans were really celebrating and they were going to get this big win before the midterms. And then this comes out and it's like, hang on, hold up. And a lot of people are thinking back, of course, to Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas in 1991, where Anita Hill spent a day testifying and being grilled by an uh-huh. all-male Senate Judiciary Committee oh, about yeah. her claims of sexual harassment. Right. Barry. Yeah. So, I mean, like, looking back on Anita Hill mm-hmm. and looking at this today, mm-hmm. are there parallels? Are there differences? Does it seem like deja vu to you? Um, no. I, well, first of all, I was a tiny child during the Anita Hill hearings. <laughs> Second of all, um, but I will say, uh, while there are, you know, as Arnie has, has said, while there are some parallels, we are also in a, a world of partisanship that we could never have imagined, a tribal um, a tribal moment that is so dug down. And speaking to how it's partisan, I can't help but feeling as I watch this saga unfold all week that both parties are using this woman. Oh, yes. Both of them are using her for their objectives. You yeah. can see plainly that Democrats would love to have this be the thing that people are thinking about as they go into the voting booth in November for the midterms. And so would Republicans. Yeah. One of the points that has been sticking with me is also that, you know, who is the information going to benefit when this all comes out? Because it's going to inform public opinion. But Mm -hmm. seems like pretty much all the Democrats have their mind made up that they're against this guy. And there are a handful of centrist Republicans, people like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are usually in the middle of these debates. They say they want to see her testimony, but they're not backing an FBI investigation. They're saying basically, like, you offered to testify, come testify, or Mm -hmm. we're moving on. Mm -hmm. Who do you think this is? I mean, for me, when I look at the calculus, who is it hardest for? Is it red state Democrats that are running in states that Trump won? Is it moderate Republicans like Collins and Murkowski? Is it just Republicans that are nervous about a potential blue wave and women who, you know, and and women, suburban women who they need to? to... I mean, I I think it's Republicans broadly. I mean, I think sort of more than red state Democrats. I think more than red state Democrats, Uh because I think red state Democrats sort of now have an out. Oh, they now have something that they can right. say, you right. know, although it was interesting because Claire McCaskill was like, I'm not I'm going to oppose him now, uh-huh. but it's because of his views on campaign finance. It was really like uh, there was lady, a lot of eye rolling at that. It right. was really interesting. Right. Um, but with Republicans, it's sort of like if he doesn't get on the court, that's a huge blow. But if he does get on, then is that going to anger female voters Enough even more not, yeah. like we've seen women out in the streets supporting Democrats. You know, we look back at Anita Hill and the backlash to that was in 1992 that there was a record number of women elected to Congress. Uh, Barry. Hi. Do you have three words? <laughs> I do. Well, I, as you know, I probably have like 7,000 words. But I'm and just that's gonna, how I like it. <laughs> so I'm going to boil it down to okay. um, uh, a good riddance. Um, a good riddance. A good riddance, which a, a lot of people, I'm going to just diverge for a minute and say, a lot of people don't know that the words that we use in speech, are have, most of them do come from Shakespeare. He was the first person who uh, coined that phrase. A good riddance. Let me in, just pause. Yeah. 
Barry Hardyman on the show talking about Shakespeare? Who would have thought? Well, I feel like the last time I did my three words, they were Shakespeare too. So I just wanted I to be like, look, That's I got it. Saying. I'm on a roll. It's going to be great. I'm going to do Tolstoy at some point. Anyway, no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. I'll do Real Housewives. Um, yeah, yeah. No. So uh, any, in any case, um, a good riddance. Um, I the the wave of um, of essays <laughs> of 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 explanations from men who have been um, pushed out of the public sphere for Me Too, um, the Jean Gomeshis, the John Hockenberries, um, even a who are those guys for folks that don't know? Okay. Who who doesn't know Jean Gomeshi? I'm just teasing. <laughs> it is amazing. He's way more famous than he ever was. Oh, I know. <laughs> Podcast listeners. As soon as you get nasty, you get famous. That's right. That's right. Jean Gomeshi, who is a former CBC host. John Hockenberry, um, he is a former NPR host. He was at Talk of the Nation and then went to the takeaway at WNYC, um, where he was fired for, um, a, for a, a series of Me Too allegations. Um, you know, before this, we had uh, Louis C.K. Um, sort of coming out and, and giving his first show. Um, and I think also Aziz Ansari. But in the specific case of Hockenberry and Gameshi, um, there is a haven't I been punished long enough essay, um, one in the New York uh, Review of Books and one in um, Harper's Magazine. Uh, and, and, and like one was like 7,000 words. Oh, my God. Oh. But somewhere in those 7,000 words, did they weigh the trauma and the effect of their actions on women? No, they were really, it was, it was so, the thing that was so, um, and this is why I say it was a good riddance to begin with. I I can envision a world where, can I? No, I can. I can envision a world where a man does take responsibility for his actions um, and says, you know, I have really apologized. I have thought about people. This is this is what restorative justice is um, in in, you know, in places that don't that aren't like the public sphere of me, too. I can envision that. um, But but it really hasn't happened very much it, it, it instead of what happened to these women and how are these women doing and, and really like thinking about the 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 um, the transgression you have men saying but what about me when can I come back there is a I mean it's it would be funny if it were not so serious but you know Hockenberry saying literally in the second paragraph I've got these trophies these peabodys in an, in an attic you know it's wow. like well boo hoo and i was also going to say the thing that has stuck with, with me this week has been essays from women who have been assaulted and have talked about their attacker coming to them and sort of bearing their soul mm-hmm. and saying i have been carrying the weight of what i did to you mm-hmm. and saying basically the the thing that has allowed me to move forward has been the attacker coming and talking about what a weight this has been on them and then them affirming my mm. value as a human being. Right. And again, yeah. it points to the power that the attacker has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just holds over a victim. Which is why when I to get back to Christine Blasey Ford, I mean, this and regardless of what the truth of the matter is, although, you know, I do think we need to believe people's experiences, men and women, when they when they have them. But regardless of what the truth of the situation is, what torture for mm-hmm. this woman to have been doxxed on Twitter, yeah. to have had all of like a, a had to whole flee her home. new yes, yeah. had to flee her home, had a whole new trauma. It, 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 it's it it boggles the mind, and when I think yeah. about that, I get so mm. tired, and I want to like totally. send a, like a howler to John Gameshi's house. <laughs> I and hear you. Even now, That's people... a Harry Potter reference, y'all. You guys, I have three words. I want to hear them. Yep. Game of chicken. 
Hmm. Is mm-hmm. that Shakespeare? I'm just kidding. God, I hope so. <laughs> How would he say Harry it? Potter. How would he deliver Game of Chicken in Shakespearean I prose? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm going to think about it while you do yes. that. Yeah. Yes. So I'm talking about really two things. One, this game of chicken between Senate Democrats and Republicans over this Kavanaugh hearing. But also another game of chicken that we probably haven't been watching enough, given the other news of this week. Um, there is an ongoing and escalating uh, trade war raging on between the U.S. and China. And it's getting pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, uh, Trump announced more tariffs on China, 10% tariffs starting September 24th on $200 billion of Chinese goods. That's crazy. And then... Um, So Trump has also threatened to tax even more imports, some $267 billion of imports from China, if China retaliates. But here's where this game of chicken gets really interesting, Mm -hmm. you guys. Um, China is running out of things to tariff. (laughs) Right. They don't import enough things Mm -hmm. from the U.S. to keep tariffing stuff to match the U.S. Because the U.S. imports so much from China, Mm -hmm. we, we just almost have an a limitless list of stuff to go through. I actually found the list on the White House website. (laughs) It is a few dozen pages long. Um, And it seems as if if Donald Trump keeps doing this, Mm -hmm. he might win that game of chicken. He might just out tariff China. Right. We just have leverage because we buy so much more from China than they buy from us. Right. And I would have never thought when Donald Trump during the campaign was talking about hitting China hard, I would have never thought that it would have gotten this far. Secondly, I would have never thought that the American public would have just kind of shoulder shrugged it all. Mm-hmm. And I would have never thought that we might end up in a situation where Trump actually gets a win out of this. I think it's really interesting. I um, This is one of the things that we like, you know, we talk so much about the 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 outsized um, moves that that Trump has made as far as trade goes. And often I do think that in the media we talk about them in this it's a scary way, you know, we but if if this like you say if he gets a win out of this that is going to I think that's going to be important in the midterms. And, and we've heard a lot of Trump supporters who've been affected by tariffs, you know, people like farmers in big agricultural states saying, you know what, maybe we'll take a short-term hit, but like we believe in the long game. We believe this is going to work yeah. out. Well, and it's just another instance where all of the conventional thought and conventional political and economic thought about what would happen if you did this, it's thrown out the window. I'm sure a year ago, economists all across the country and world said if any U.S. president institutes this many tariffs, Mm -hmm. it'll throw the world into economic chaos. Mm -hmm. Not yet. All right, time for a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about McDonald's employees across the country going on strike this week over what they say is a pervasive culture of sexual harassment in their workplaces. We'll hear from two low-wage service employees. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch with the drag and drop technology and powerful web features. Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to wix.com to create yours today. So what will you create? 
Support also comes from Netflix and their upcoming film, Hold the Dark, a gripping psychological thriller directed by Jeremy Solnier. Revenge and horror unfold in the treacherous Alaskan wilderness when a retired wolf expert is summoned to investigate a child's disappearance. A riveting examination of human nature and the mysteries of the wilderness. Starring Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, and Riley Keough. Watch the new film, Hold the Dark, September 28th, only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Daniel Alarcón, host of NPR's Spanish-language podcast, La Ambulante. We're back with a new season, with 36 stories from all over Latin America and the Latino community here in the U.S., from one of the most controversial trials in Puerto Rico's history to the Venezuelan migrant crisis. Listen to La Ambulante on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. Here with two great guests today, Arnie Seipel, NPR politics editor, and Barry Hardiman, uh, senior editor at NPR's Weekend Edition. How y'all feeling? Good, Sam. Earth, Wind, and Fire Day, you know. Right? Earth, Wind, and Fire Life. <laughs> yes. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance, where we call up somebody somewhere in the world and talk with them about the news. All the focus this week has been on Brett Kavanaugh and his uh, Supreme Court nomination. So it was very easy this week to miss another story, and that was about McDonald's. Uh, Across the country this week, McDonald's employees uh, walked out of the job to protest what they say is a pervasive culture of sexual harassment in McDonald's stores. Barry, Arnie, did you guys see this? I did. Yeah. I I was impressed and unsurprised that that culture existed. Yeah. My first job was McDonald's. I started working there when I was in high school, and I hadn't thought about that job for a long time. Uh-huh. But then when I saw that these strikes were happening, I said, oh, yeah, sounds right. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. Right, because we treat people in service industries terribly. Yeah, yeah. And so this strike actually comes after multiple cases of harassment were filed by McDonald's employees with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. This is the federal agency mm-hmm. that examines these kind of complaints. Um, and so we put a call out this week asking for listeners or anyone who was working in McDonald's, working in the food service industry, to see what it's like for them. So we actually caught up with Katie, who lives in the Cleveland area. She's worked for years in McDonald's. We didn't use her last name. She didn't want to lose that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she told me about multiple instances of harassment that she's experienced, that her colleagues experienced, uh, from coworkers and also from customers. Mm-hmm. There was a group of three men, probably in their early 40s. They came through and, you know, they were staring at me like like animals and making gross comments. And then they started asking me how old I was, and I was 17, and I told them that. And then they asked me what time I got off work. They said they'd be waiting for me around in the parking lot, and I was terrified. I ended up calling my mom to come pick me up because it was, I think, 11 at night. I had school the next day. And that was just one story that she told me. She had countless instances of young people who were underage being harassed by coworkers, by customers. And it's just, like, ongoing. Mm -hmm. These kind of experiences, they happen at more places than just McDonald's. We called up Ashley Mena Lowe from Tucson, Arizona. She has worked in the food industry for years. Right now, she has a job at the Dutch Eatery and Refuge in Tucson, and she told me what work in the service industry looks like for her. Hey, Ashley, you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to talk with you. You're in Tucson? I am in Tucson, yes. So what do you do out there in Tucson? 
so I am a bartender, waitress. I've uh, been doing that for about 17 years in Tucson. Okay. Um, have you ever experienced sexual harassment at work, this workplace or other um, workplaces? Yeah, I mean, more times than I can even count, to be honest. Um, uh. It happens frequently. So, <laughs> Yeah, what is the most common type of occurrence of this harassment? It really, you know, for the most part, it's things like touching, putting your hands on, you know, around someone's waist, you know, maybe, or around their shoulders or... Um, and more often than not, I, if that's all it is, if it's a touch, I almost never say anything, but there was a particular instance I had, I had, I did have a guy try and kiss me or, you know, he grabbed me and kissed me on the lips and pulled me in and I pushed him away. And I, this was pretty early in my serving career. I was pretty young then, early twenties or so. And I just, Oh, ha, 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 you're so funny. That's gross. Don't do that. Kind of just played it off like it wasn't a big deal. And then I went in the back and I was just like, just like retching. Oh, man. That's got to be rough. That's got to be rough. How do you feel in the moment after a thing like that happens? Because it seems as if you're saying that there's a ton of stuff that you just have to let slide to keep doing your job. Yeah. Yeah, there is. It just made me feel gross. Like, you know, because that's not... In, in in my real life, I would never let anyone get away with that. But sometimes it's just not worth, especially when I'm trying to make some money off these people. Yeah. You know, and I'm depending on them leaving me a nice tip. And then I hate to say this too, but the higher that check goes, you're more you're kind of willing to put up with mm. because you don't want to lose out on that money. But it's not okay. But, <laughs> it's not okay. No, yeah. But it's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay. But it's sad because I sit here and I try and justify it. You know, I can hear myself justifying it to you, but it's not really justifiable. Like, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had a situation where you left the job because of harassment? Um, No. I've never actually left a job because of the harassment. Why not? Well, I mean... I don't know, because I I would never just leave a job without having something else yeah. lined up first to yeah. leave, for yeah. sure. I, you know, I've got two kids. I just can't be without the money. Yeah, yeah. So this week across the country, uh, employees of McDonald's stores went on strike over what they claim is this pervasive culture of sexual harassment at McDonald's across the country. Do you think things like that will change anything? Um. I don't know. To be completely honest, like I'm all about everyone speaking their mind and I think everyone should speak their mind, but you know, a mass protest like that walking out of your business, I just, I I don't always know that that's really the way to make permanent and progressive changes. Mm. And so what do you think needs to happen for the kind of culture that you work in, this culture of kind of just repetitive, pervasive harassment? What needs to change to make that well, stop in your mind? There is an argument to be made, and a lot of people argue that if they got rid of tipping culture in general, it would mm. help get rid of sexual harassment. Why? Personally, I, well, because then maybe that, you know, they won't feel as, they won't feel like they have to put up with sexual harassment in order to make their money. Uh, Personally, I don't think that's the case at all. I like my tips. I like tipping culture. It's a, it's a great way for people to make money in a flexible job environment. Uh, 
And how do we change it? I mean, I know what I do is I speak up more and I say to people like, hey, we can be cool, but we can be cool without you touching me that way. And I don't really make a big deal about it. I just, I say that and continue on with my day. And usually that's that. Once I've said that, people are like, all right, all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. A thing that I hear about a lot and some of the trainings that happen in jobs where people rely on tips, you know, they'll say, well, you should smile. You should be extra nice. You should do this. You should do that to get that tip. Is there a certain Mm -hmm. push from the managers to kind of enable this climate where you're kind of harassed? Yeah. I mean, I, I would be lying if I haven't said, I mean, I've been through corporate training, some national chains, some local chains, and almost all of them, when they're talking about ways to increase tips, mm. if you can get a, a shoulder touch in, that can, yeah. that can increase your tips 10%, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely in training syllabuses wow. in restaurants across the country. Yeah. Last question. There are going to be people hearing this conversation who go to restaurants and bars where they will interact with servers like yourself. Mm-hmm. What do you want those customers to know before they go to their next restaurant and interact with someone who is relying on them for a tip? We are there to provide a service, but we are not anybody's servant. Mm. Um, your waitress is somebody's mother, sister, brother, They just want to be treated with respect and we will happily bring you your dishes and make your meal as wonderful as it can possibly be. And the more respect you treat us, the better dining experience you're going to have. I appreciate that. Hey, well, Ashley, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. It was super nice to talk to you. Thanks again to Ashley uh, for sharing her story And wow, she goes through a lot. Yeah. 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 You know, she has such a great exuberant personality, you know, and this idea of like, you know, that this has to be part of her life is so, I mean, the combination of being a woman in the world and then a woman in a service industry is just so toxic to, you know, to certain kinds of men. And I'm so glad we're paying attention to this story because we've been talking about highly visible men, men in major positions of power, but there are men in positions of everyday power. And I'm sorry, I'm going to go to Oprah for a second. Because oh, do it. The Oprah Me Too speech at the Golden Globes, I think the power of that speech was that she was standing up in front of Hollywood mm-hmm. while their industry was being upended in the wake of Harvey Weinstein. And she's saying... It's domestic workers. Mm -hmm. It's hospital workers. Mm -hmm. And so often those stories just get overlooked. Well, and then it's just like the kinds of conversations that women have at various levels of employment. You have white-collar employees talking about things like advancement in the job when they discuss Me Too Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. equal pay. But for service workers, they're still talking about just being safe. Yeah, they just don't want to get murdered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to be a cocktail waitress. And I, you know, one thing that I look back on is that a lot of the harassment of of that job, which was steady and ongoing, was baked in. I used to uh, cocktail at this bar. And the outfits were made so that if you were to crouch down at the table, it would be you would be in a situation where much of you was showing that wouldn't normally Mm. be showing on the job. It was 
baked in. That was the uniform they gave me. It was a mini skirt that would have been better as a turtleneck, you know? Oh, right. And once again, there's the tipping culture. Right. Which is a huge part of this. And right. it was really interesting to hear the caller say that, you know, she likes the tipping culture. And mm -hmm. there's a huge debate over whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing for service workers. But what it should be about is, is how service. they do their job. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. service and, and humanity. And those things right. are sort of the same. Mm -hmm. And you should receive that humanity in yeah. return. Yeah. To our podcast listeners, uh, we have another Me Too conversation in your podcast feed right now. Our latest Tuesday episode, the, the episode right before this one, it's all about the Me Too movement and sports. I talked with Bridie Farrell. She's a former speed skater, and she tells me all about how she came forward with her story of sexual abuse uh, by a man who she thought was a mentor and also a skating idol. All right, we're going to lighten the mood uh, in just a bit with my favorite game, Who Said That? But first, a friend of mine who goes by Tom will uh, take things away. All right. It's called In a Minute. Is that, what's, is that what it's called? It's been a minute. You're listening to It's Been a Minute with Sam who? Sam Sanders. Okay. You're listening to It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, developing solutions to support strong families and communities to help ensure a brighter future for America's children. More information is available at AECF.org. Hi, this is Peter Sagal. For 20 years, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me has been making fun of the news with comedians and celebrity guests. We got silly limericks. We got terrible impressions. If you think the news is a joke, wait till you hear our show. New podcast episodes are available every Saturday. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was... I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests today, Arnie Seipel, editor at NPR Politics, and Barry Hardiman, senior editor at NPR's Weekend Edition. Thank you both for hanging today. You are so Thank welcome. Thank you, Sam. Y'all, it's time for my favorite game, Who Said That? Ooh, Who said that? Who said that? The game, it is quite simple. I share a quote from the week. You all have to guess who said that or get the story it refers to or get a keyword or get mm -hmm. close or just wait until I give you enough clues to figure it out. I'm not a stickler. Thank you, Sam. Good. Yeah. I am. I've never been good at this game. <laughs> so, Arnie, you are already in the lead. <laughs> Fun thing about this game, it doesn't matter if you're good or not because the winner gets absolutely nothing. Nice. You guys ready for the first quote? Yes. Yeah. You, you can tell me who said it. You can tell me what I'm telling. Just get close. It is. Ready? Quote. Even though they are identified as male characters and possess many human traits yes. and characteristics, as most Sesame Street Muppets do, they remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. Ernie and Bert. Sesame Street Workshop. Yes. Yes. So Barry got it more technically correct. Well, Arnie got the keywords first. Oh, my God. You should see Arnie's face. I, that's super <laughs> sad. We both got it right. We were, we were building on each other's correctitude. Yeah. There was a mind melt here in D.C. Yeah. I'm going to give you both half a point. Thank you. Fair. Okay. Why don't we get three quarters? Why can't we each get a point? You each get a point. Come on. Fine. Okay. You each get a point. Come on. So this quote comes from Sesame Workshop. This is the company that makes Sesame Street, the iconic children's uh, puppet show. 
they were responding to new speculation over whether two Sesame Street characters who happen to live together, Bert and Ernie, uh, speculation over whether or not they're gay. Mm. Um, this all came about because Mark Saltzman, who wrote a bunch of episodes for the show for more than 13 years, in a recent interview, he said that when he wrote for the characters, he thought of Bert and Ernie as gay. That led to all of the internet getting into fights over whether these two puppets are gay. Mm-hmm. And it was finally Sesame Workshop, who makes the show, was like, uh, they're asexual. This debate keeps happening. I know. Yes. Remember when the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage to cover the New Yorker? Yes, it was uh, was it was Ernie, Ernie, Ernie which with still... their sh- hand, head on their shoulders oh my watching God, I just the got r- ruling. Speaking of that cover again. <sighs> Can I just tell you how, to me at least, this Sesame Workshop statement feels so hypocritical? Oh, interesting. Because they're sitting here saying, well, Bird and Ernie don't have a sexual orientation. Meanwhile, you got Kermit and Miss Piggy Mm. making out on screen, Mm. going Mm. from breakups to makeups every other episode. Right. They're clearly sexual. Also, Lady Elaine Fairchild is clearly a gay icon. I mean, (laughs) I I just can't. Why why did they? I mean, I don't mean to be don't ask, don't tell about it. But why do we have to address it? Like, why couldn't it just have been a. I just don't want to see it. We didn't need to have a at all, you know? Yeah. 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 And there's so much background here. I mean, there is the person who's writing the character saying this. Mm-hmm. At the same time, originally, they were based off of Jim Henson and his best friend. Right. Which was a platonic relationship. Do we know about their relationship? Oh, well, that's a good point. <laughs> as far as we know, it was yeah. platonic. Yeah. I, it just seems to me like, can, couldn't we allow it to be roommates for one person and right. longtime partner for another? Like, it, couldn't it be what that's you want it to be? That's kind of the point of Sesame Street, right? Isn't that the kind of the point yes. of stories? You get to yes. imagine what you want? Yes. Also, Bert, Ernie, if you're listening, I'm with you, whatever the case. You be you. That's right. <laughs> this game is tied one all. Ready for the next quote? Yes. We're actually going to play the tape of this one so you oh, can good. hear who said it. Thank you, but it's an honor just to be Asian. It's an honor just to be Asian. Who said that? Was that Sandra O? Oh? It was. Oh, see, yeah, from the Emmys. Yeah. yeah. Way to go, Arnie. Yeah. Um, so Did the you? iconic actress Sandra O, oh, uh, she said that in a skit at this week's Emmys. It was an entire skit full of songs and such mocking Hollywood's self-congratulatory attitude towards diversity. Um, So they were making fun of the way that Hollywood pats itself on the back for doing these big grand gestures towards diversity while actually a lot of things don't change. So Mm -hmm. in spite of this skit and all this diversity talk, um, and besides the awards having the most diverse list of nominees in history, um, the ratings were down to just over 10 million viewers, and most of the winners were still white. Yeah, yep. it was like they were trying to be self-aware, but they were so not self-aware if you actually paid attention to the substance of the ceremony. It was really weird. It's sort yeah. of, it's a classic Hollywood patting themselves on the back for a thing that, that isn't. But it also, she, like, Sandra O oh is a perfect example of a person who no matter what gets it. And, She's going to win. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and just comes out in force being her and, you know, having truly, like, won the year with Killing Eve, which you and Arnie have both watched Killing Eve, right? I have not. Oh, not. my. There's too many shows to watch, No, Barry. I'm the person who watches the Emmys and then goes and watches all the shows is, that it's got the eight, attention. It is so good. It is a combination spy assassin show oh. and Lucille Ball comedy. I can't, it is really both of you. I will admit, in this day and age, in these times, in this, in this news climate, I kind of only watch happy TV now. 
it's going to make me this happy. This is. I will say this, guys. It, it is so much fun. They're half-hour episodes. Like, there are sad things happen, but it is. it will make you happy by the end. That's okay. good. I love it. Last quote. Y'all ready? Mm-hmm. This is actually really hard, but also hilarious. Okay. Here's the quote. We'll eat the meat, and if we don't eat all of it, we'll donate it. None of it goes to waste. We'll have the hide tanned and have boots made out of it. Who said that? Did somebody shoot Bambi? Name another animal. A pig? An animal that's in the water. Oh, a whale? So many buzzers. An animal that's in the water that people don't like. A shark. Y'all Yankees, right? y'all don't know nothing. Y'all Yankees. No, I just can only think of Moby Dick. Let me just tell you. Yeah. An alligator. Oh. oh. Y'all like didn't see this story. Oh, I'm from, I'm from Boston. <laughs> from Jersey. Come know. on. <laughs> All right. Let me tell you the most Texas story I've ever seen in my yes, life. I love oh, it. Oh, I love this story. I did hear this. This is see, awesome. Arnie, then what is it? Tell us, Arnie. Okay. So this is the woman who's dog was eaten by an alligator no her miniature horse okay <laughs> oh my god Texas. that's even weirder so she says she says that years ago she believes an alligator uh killed one of her miniature horses and she swore vengeance so recently she killed a 12 foot 580 pound alligator this is a woman named judy b cochran oh she's a great grandmother and the mayor of livingston texas oh, feminist icon she says she followed all the hunting and permitting rules so it was legal for her to do this but she was going to seek vengeance for her miniature horse she was like i'm gonna get right inside i'm gonna get that ahab i love it <laughs> <laughs> Also, like, all right, we got a great grandma who is a mayor of a small town in Texas yes. who also owns miniature horses. Whose name is Judy. Can we be best friends? Oh, yes. Judy, come into my life. Yes. She says none of the meat from the alligator will go to waste. She's going to make boots out of that skin. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just the story that— I would like a that... purse if, you know, if it's out there. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I just love how also this story is out of Texas. But when I first saw the headline, I was like, oh, that's Florida. Florida. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and give this one kinda to Arnie because you, you kinda knew No, you should give it to Arnie. That was Which definitely means... Arnie. His... I saw the headline go by on Twitter. Right. I know. <laughs> I saw your face light up like like Arnie and I was into it. <laughs> so that means Arnie, you won. Mm. Congratulations. Of course, as you know, you don't get anything. Bragging um, rights. Bragging rights. And this time with you all. Mm-hmm. All right, listeners, now it's time to end the show. As we do every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Anjali, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. Daniel from Atlanta here. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I got to spend every waking minute of my week with my four-month-old son. This is my last week of parental leave. In the past six weeks, us boys spent our days with bottles, diaper changes, walks, rolls over, old episodes of The Americans, and of course, lots of naps. I'm sad it's over, but I'm sure glad it happened. It's only Monday, but I feel pretty confident saying that the best part of my week already happened because yesterday, my baby girl learned to walk. Hi, Sam. This is Erin in Littleton, Colorado, and the best thing that happened to me this week is I adopted a beautiful five-year-old pit bull mix named Hazel. This is Kate from Oregon, and the best thing about my week was spending the weekend with my grandmother celebrating her 92nd birthday. She's an amazing woman and has taught me many things. Among these things is how to properly fold a fitted sheet. My husband and I just closed on the perfect house in the perfect neighborhood. 
Hi Sam, this is Lydia and Sergio and we're outside the U.S. Embassy in Paris, France and the best thing about our week is that after three years of doing long distance and a year of paperwork and lots of flights, Sergio's K-1 fiancé visa was approved. Hello, this is Teresa from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. The best part of my week was seeing my son and your show's producer, Brent, marry his beautiful wife, Acacia, in a lovely outdoor ceremony in Washington, D.C., with dinner under the great big sky. It was a wonderful day, and I wish them the very best. It was so nice to meet so many people dear in their lives. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Love the show. Hope you had a good week, too. Have a great weekend. Oh. Congratulations, hey, Brent. Prince mom, Teresa. I was at that wedding. I had the blessing and honor of getting to walk Acacia and Brent's dog down the aisle. Um, thanks to all the other voices you heard there. Daniel, Brooke, Aaron, send me dog photos, Kate, Becky, Sergio and Lydia, and of course, Brent's mom, Teresa Bachman. It was great to hang out with you last weekend. Uh, listeners, we hear all of these that come in. Thank you so much for sharing them. You can send me your best thing of your week, any point throughout the week. Just email me the sound of your voice. Send that file to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Special thanks to two of the best parts of my week. My guests today, Barry Hardiman, senior editor for NPR's Weekend Edition, and Arnie Seipel, editor for NPR Politics. Thank y'all, and thank, thank Earth, Wind, and Fire for making this bop of a bop. September, we're gonna bring it back. Woo, buddy, yeah! I can't believe this song is 40 years old. It sounds like it could have been made yesterday. Well, it's, it's timeless. Also, I cannot stop dancing to it. Like it's not. I will always get out on the floor. I mean, same. Yeah. Same. Alligator I love this song. or no? I'm gonna just be out there. <laughs> Woo! This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Anjali Sastry, Kumari Devarajan, and help from Darius Rafian. Thank you, Darius, for coming down from New York to help us out this week. Our editor is the fearless Jordana Hochman, and our big boss is NPR's VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning. We're going to have a very, very fun episode for you. I am talking with one of the breakout stars of HBO's Insecure, Natasha Rothwell. She plays Kelly. Uh, the friend with the sass and the class and the one-liners and the zingers. She's delightful. We're going to talk. Check for that Tuesday. Also, listeners, we're doing a very special episode next month all about Coming Out Day. And we want to include coming out stories from you. Uh, you could be on the show talking to me about how you came out. Uh, hit me up, send me an email, and tell us why we should talk. With that, thank you all for listening. I hope your weekends are just delightful. Uh, until next time, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. God, this is seriously the best of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>